In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are two major religions in the world. There is the religion in which God comes to us to save us from the perils of our sins. This is the true religion. It's the religion of the apostles and the prophets. It is the biblical religion. Its focus is on Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and true man, born of the Virgin Mary, who came into this world to rescue us poor lost sinners from the consequences of our sins and to set us free to be God's dear children. The false religion goes by many names. It often goes by the name of Christianity, though there is nothing Christian about it. Its God has many different names. It offers many paths to salvation, but it is the broad way that leads to destruction. The false religion teaches how we can come to God. It teaches us how to twist God's arm so that he will owe us good things. How we do this varies from religion to religion, but all man-made religions agree that the burden lies on you. If you want to escape whatever troubles you and find a blessed future, it's up to you to do what's required. In our gospel lesson today, we find the heart of the Christian religion, your king comes to you. This is a statement of judgment. You did not come to God. You couldn't come to him. How could you? You were dead in sins and trespasses. You had no more ability to come to God than a corpse has the power to get up and walk. And worse yet, you were unwilling to come to God. Your free will was bound and determined to turn away from him. And yet, your king comes to you. This is a statement of grace. You did not desire God, but even so, God desired you. Not because you were a diamond in the rough. Not because God could see your raw, unformed talent. But because God delights in making sinners into saints. God does not love what is pleasing and attractive. This is how we humans love. But the love of God does not find, but rather creates that which pleases him. Your king comes to you. This is a statement of judgment. Because your king comes to rule over you. His arrival marks the end of your reign. You are not in charge anymore. You don't make the rules. You don't set the agenda. You have a king. Of course, we Americans don't really like kings. We had a king once, George III, but we got rid of him because we didn't like his rules. Now, perhaps his laws were unjust, but the carnal mind doesn't even care whether the law is just or unjust. He simply resents being told what to do. He does not want a king. The screaming three-year-old doesn't care why he can't ride his tricycle in the road. He simply wants to do whatever he wants to do, regardless of the consequences. Don't tell me no. And your old Adam is no different. But Jesus does not ask for your permission. He doesn't ask for you to make him Lord and Savior. He doesn't wait for you to invite him into your heart. Jesus does whatever Jesus wants to do.
Your king comes to you. This is a statement of grace. For Jesus wants to give himself to you. His rule is one of mercy. Solomon, the son of David, was crowned king after entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and he ruled Israel with a heavy yoke. And Solomon's son was even worse. He promised, my father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. These human sons of David ruled with cruel and selfish interests. Yet Jesus, the true son of David, comes for your good. He promises, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem to be crowned with thorns, to be lifted up for all to see on the cross, to bear your sins and die for your good, for you. Jesus, your king, comes to you announcing that your future will be blessed and that your war with God has been ended because he secured the peace with his own blood. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Jesus comes. But where is it that he promises to be? He comes to the daughter of Zion, to the people of God. Jesus comes to his church, bringing his gifts of righteousness and salvation. And if you want these gifts, Jesus tells you where to find them, in his church. This is where he has promised to be, for Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is written in Matthew chapter 18, a chapter about the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus promises to be among us, what is it he will be doing? Forgiving our sins. And even though he is your king, Jesus is among you as the one who serves. This is where we get our word liturgy from the Greek word liturgia, which means a public service. Liturgy is not a stuffy set of rituals. It is the act of Jesus publicly serving and giving himself to his church. This is true liturgy. And a liturgical service is one in which Jesus serves his people through his word and his sacraments. There's no other kind of Christian service. This is what the true religion looks like. This is what happens when your king comes to you. Did you know that you don't go to church to serve God? You don't go to church to check off boxes with him as though he's some sort of cosmic Santa Claus who keeps track of who has good attendance and who's been naughty. The divine service is where God serves you. Church isn't about us and what we do for God. It's about Jesus and what he does for us. That's why it's potentially misleading to call church worship. Well, yes, certainly we do worship. Because God has first served us, we then respond with thanksgiving and worship. But what we do here is not primary. Worship is the byproduct, the joyful automatic response to having been served by our king. 
What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will take up the cup of salvation and will call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, what does God want you to give to him in church? Your gift to God is to take his gifts. The divine service does not belong to us. It belongs to Christ. He instituted the divine service when his body was broken and his blood poured out on the cross. He is our king and we are his church. This means that we're not free to make the rules, to define what happens in church, to make up our own liturgies. This is God's service. And as we prepare to come to his table, to receive his body and blood, we sing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We sing these words for a reason. We confess in faith that our king is truly present among us as he promised to be. The divine service is not entertaining. It's not catchy, but entertainment won't do you any good. Jesus comes to do you good, to forgive your sins. The word of God is not what sinful man wants to hear, but other words won't do you any good. Jesus comes to do you good, and his word gives eternal life. And so the church may not say whatever it wants. We may speak only the words that our Lord gives us to speak Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This message will never be popular. It will never be entertaining. It will never appear friendly and welcoming to young families. If you want a guaranteed way to get more butts in the pews, you must find a new message. You must get rid of the cross, stop talking about sin. If you want to fill this room, don't tell people about the free gift of eternal life. Instead, advertise free popcorn and movies. Don't preach about Jesus who comes to you as king. Instead, talk about Jesus, meek and mild, who speaks to you from that quiet place in your heart, who communes with you out in nature. Talk about Jesus, your personal savior, who helps you iron out all the wrinkles so that you can be the best version of yourself. The world loves to bring out baby Jesus once a year. He's allowed to sit under the Christmas tree. He helps sell a lot of merchandise. But babies don't talk. They don't say nasty things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Babies don't overturn money tables in the temple. They don't rule Sweet Jesus in the manger, gently cooing, cannot forgive your sins. But Jesus the King, crowned with thorns, hanging upon a cursed cross, can and does. No, Jesus doesn't promise to come to you with catchy melodies and clever words. He doesn't promise to give you fun times or success. Jesus promises something far better. He promises to be among you wherever two or more are gathered in his name. Your gracious king promises to come to you, to be among you as the one who serves. He promises 
that his word will not return void. He promises to build his church and he keeps his promises. Every time a child is baptized, the church grows. Whenever one of our gray-haired members falls asleep in Jesus, the church grows. And even when it is necessary to close the doors to one of our buildings, the church of Christ will continue to grow as it always has, for its builder and maker is the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. On this first day of the Christian year, remember that which is first about the Christian faith. You did not come to Christ. Instead, your king comes to you. He gives himself to you. He serves you. He forgives your sins. He places his body and blood into your mouth. He sends his word into your ears. He gives his Holy Spirit into your heart to sustain you in the faith for as long as you are on this earth. And when your journey in this veil of tears has ended, your king will gather you and all his church to himself in heaven, where we will then partake in the divine liturgy that has no end. In the name of Jesus, amen.